the folks in the cities decided that everybody was going to be the same. We exist because of the farmers, and the farmers exist because of us. Hello there. You're listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In rural Minnesota, a project is underway that will significantly improve access for people in the region. The project was originally intended to expand over Renville and Sibley counties, but over the past three years, it's evolved into a model we expect to see more of in the future, a fiber cooperative. Today, two guests join Chris to talk about the project. Mark Erickson, City Administrator of Winthrop, Minnesota, and Cindy Gerholtz, Vice Chair of the RS Fiber Co-op. The Fiber to the Farm project focuses on getting broadband to everyone because everyone in the area recognizes it's a necessary utility. Cindy and Mark describe the poor connectivity situation in the area and how residents are fixing it through community ownership. More rural communities, recognizing that large corporate providers will not expand to areas without dense populations, are taking action to serve themselves. The RS Fiber Cooperative model brings access to everyone who wants it and gives everyone a voice. Before we run the interview, we want to refer you specifically to the rsfiber.coop page and the Renville-Sibley Facebook page. In addition to information about the project, you can check out the tools RS Fiber advocates are using to reach out to potential co-op members. Now here are Chris, Mark, and Cindy. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with two folks, Mark Erickson, the city administrator of Winthrop. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you. And Cindy Gerholtz, the vice chair of the RS Fiber Co-op. Welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having us. Longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with your project because we started our very first episode 99 episodes ago with Linda Cromer on the marketing committee. And if you haven't listened to that interview yet, I highly recommend it to people. Uh, the RS Fiber Project, which is the uh, Renville-Sibley project southwest of our Minnesota metro, is a very exciting project. And uh, Mark, let's start with you. What, just tell me a, a little bit about the project. What, who's involved with it? Well, at this point, uh, you know, a year ago, when you spoke with Linda, it was kind of a joint powers-led project. It was going to be owned, kind of owned and operated by the 10 cities and the two counties that made up the joint powers board. Um, we were unable to attract financing for that. A nervous bond market kind of precluded that. So now it's a private cooperative, and it's going to serve the same footprint, essentially. The joint powers board of 10 cities and now 17 townships are going to uh, sell a generally obligated tax abatement bond and lend that to the cooperative as an economic development loan. The cooperative will then take that and leverage that into $40 million in primary financing so the $55 million project can be built. It's about a 600-square-mile project area now involving uh, 10 cities uh, and... uh, a couple thousand farms and ag and ag producers. And Cindy, why don't you explain a little bit about why this project is necessary? Um, you know, if you look at some maps, it would suggest that most of Minnesota already has access to broadband. Uh, why, why, why are you spending so much time? It's been over five years of your effort to try and build this fiber network. 
I live in the rural area, you know, in the rural area. I'm actually an egg producer. I have two interests in the project, egg producer along with the, the medical field. Um, but working, working and speaking about the, the agricultural part of it, yes, we do have access to some Internet. We do. Um, however, the speeds out in the, in the rural area, especially where I live, is, uh, is at most um, uh, like one megabyte or less. Now you compare that to the to, to the communities, uh, like the towns. They're able to get uh, DSL for five, six, seven, eight, ten. Um, one of the big providers that a lot of folks were using uh, was come out of the Mankato area. They they closed up their shop in this area in February, which left those folks high and dry. So they have now moved on to other carriers, and again, still we're we're below that one and a half, uh, one one and a half megabyte area. And we're paying a lot of money for that one and a half. So this project is very exciting to me and my neighbors because we're looking at getting 50 megabyte of speed, which is reliable up and down for close to, if not less than, what we're paying to get a one meg. Now, one of the things that I've, I've long loved about this project and is that the commitment of so many people involved with it uh, to make sure that everyone was served. What, what's the difference between building a network that would just serve in the, the town centers versus serving the, the larger region? From a business plan perspective, it's much easier to build a fiber-to-the-home network in these cities because it's around $2,500 per pass. To, to build that network, and, and, and you can cash flow that relatively easily. When we add in the rural areas, uh, they average around $10,000 per pass, and, and that becomes more of, a, of an obstacle from a business plan. Early on, from the very beginning, uh, the folks in the cities decided that we were going to blend these costs, that everybody was going to be the same. We exist because of the farmers, and the farmers exist because of us, and, and we're all interdependent. We have the same. Our, our kids go to the same school districts. Uh, so we just decided that, that everybody was going to be treated equally in this. So on average, this is going to cost around $5,500, $5,600 per pass in order to build. At one, um, one of the public meetings or immediately afterward, there was a discussion about maybe not serving the townships, the more rural areas. And, and Cindy, you were quite emphatic about making sure that no one was left behind. I believe it was described to me as reaching across the table and your eyes glowing red to make the point. <laughs> yeah, she did that She did that to me, Chris. She actually almost came across the table at me and said, that's not going to happen. Well, and again, the reason why is because I'm certainly listening to this presentation and it sounds awesome. And I hear them talking about, you know, the, the, the towns getting this great 50 megabyte or whatever it's going to be, this, this fiber optic system. It sounds great. And finally, I had to say, what about the rural? <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. That's why I've been on this project ever since, because, you know, it needs to, like Mark said, it needs to be all of us together. Um, I work in the medical business and the agriculture business, and you're right. Our kids are in the same schools. We're going to the same doctors. We're going to the same nursing homes. You know, we are, this is a, a close-knit community. By that, I mean the whole county area. Um, we, we're working together. It's very farm-related, but we're also looking for, um, I guess one of the things I'm looking at, too, for this whole project is that hopefully it will expand uh, companies and, and make invitations to companies to come to this area, which will then give, you know, more jobs for our kids and keep our kids back at home because we lose our kids. They go to college and they're gone. Cindy, can you tell us a little bit more about the co-op approach? Why does this make sense in terms of how to structure the project? 
a co-op lets you take ownership, lets, lets your patrons become members of that co-op, of that product, of that service. So one of the selling points that I've had for folks in the rural area and the communities is that being that it is a co-op driven, you have to come to those, those, uh, those meetings and you have to speak up and say if things aren't going right in your area because it's all about us. The service, the cost, the reliability, those are things that we can go to these meetings and question our board and get answers for. It's not a private business that's located down south. It's your neighbor, it, you know, somebody you know It's on that board. So co-op to me is very strong. Uh, we hope to get dividends one day. That's a long ways down the road. But more so in the front of it, we know by running a co-op, our costs will keep down because our money is going back into our co-op. So, Mark, I'll let you handle the financial part of it. Well, that's a that's a good segue, um, Cindy. Thanks. Uh, the a co-op approach, and there it's a private business. A a co-op is a private business. It's member-owned, member-driven. Uh, they they focus not on making as much money they can, but as bringing as much benefit to their uh, members as they can. And 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 it and it came about this way. We 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 know that we can't put together the financing, traditional bank financing, to build the entire thing. You just can't get terms from a private bank. So we've tried to figure out a way to have the cities and the townships make a down payment of sorts on the of financing and then have the cooperative borrow the rest. So we, we have some skin in the game from the cities and the uh, townships, and we lend that money, and they leverage that. What it did over our first round of financing is it, it not only reduced the cost of our borrowing by $15 million, which is significant, it also allowed us to draw our interest, to draw the cash slower, so the interest that we pay on it is a lot less. So we borrowed less money, pay less money in interest, plus we're going to access some guaranteed loan programs from the federal government. So these are loans, these are not gifts, and everything will be paid back. Uh, we will have some local equity from some banks in the area. So the cooperative approach uh, allowed us to have not only a better financing model, I really think it allows us to have more of a buy-in from the whole project area. One of the things that's been amazing to me is watching over the many years that this project has been evolving, just how many public meetings there have been. Why don't we just go through the, the number of times that, that local boards uh, and local governments, the townships, have had to make decisions? I know where you're going. We made presentations to over in over 100 public meetings. Then uh, there were private meetings besides that. Our Joint Powers Board has met probably 30 or 40 times. We have vetted this thing publicly. We've talked about all the negatives. We've, we've looked at all the warts and talked about all the bad things that could happen. And finally, about a month ago, one person stood up and said, you know, you guys have been telling us what can go wrong with this. What can go right with this? You know, what's the upside? What's the benefit? Can it make money? Yes, it can. Uh, will it bring benefit to folks? Well, we've, we've talked about that with them. And yes, it, it changes the way people live, work, and, um, and play. So uh, through that process of being very, very public, uh, we have educated a lot of people. The Fiber to the Home Council's Fiber Primer has been very uh, influential, I think, in that because it lays out what the opportunity is for Fiber to the Home. And by the way, I, I hope your listeners know that this is really a, a Fiber to the Farm project, a Fiber to the Farm and Fiber to the Home. 
Right. The rural folks, you know, they're they they were they were kind of like brought to the table um, abruptly, if I could say, because at first it was it was a commissioner's decision, and that happened way back in October here, I guess a year and a half ago. By the commissioners, I think you mean the the county at first was representing the interests of all of the townships, and then I think made some decisions that very frustrated the townships, and the townships had to step up. Is, is that fair? The uh, townships were there in favor of the project. The commissioners had to make a decision based on what they knew at that time. And in their eyes, they made the right decision. Um, the next day, the co-op was formed because we had a lot of support from the townships. Uh, the numbers that were coming in from returns were strong in the township areas because they need it. Um, so then we knew that we had to do something to keep the rural folks uh, somehow to get hooked up with this infrastructure of this fiber optic. So we, we sought with the co-op, we developed the co-op, things are moving forward, yada, yada, you know all that already, which brings us up to just the last month and a half when these townships had to make a huge decision because there is a $15 million geo-obligation that they may be on the line for. So they had a huge decision to make. So as Mark was saying a few minutes ago, we did spend a lot of time educating town folks and rural folks. Meetings were being held at township meetings. Um, attendance was amazing. When normally you would have just a few people come for question and answers, we're talking some meetings had 50 people at them because they wanted answers to the questions they had. And this team went out there and was tried to uh, try to attend all the townships meetings so that they could and bring and bring information to them. So the whole bottom line was the to- these townships and the towns could make a good decision based on the good information they had in front of them. And so just to, to recap briefly, the the county ultimately decided that it would pull out of the uh, joint board, um, the joint powers board. And then at that point, you formed the co-op the very next day. And of the 21 townships that ultimately could join the joint powers board, you had 17 join. Uh, that's that's, a, that's a pretty impressive. And now, what happens is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, each, each the the fifteen million dollars of the bond is going to be split among all of the different members of the Joint Powers Board. They will each have to have information sessions to present to their uh, local citizens uh, what's going on with the project, and then they'll have to have a vote. And then the Joint Powers Board will ultimately have a vote. So there's still a lot more public process that's coming. We have to have a public hearing in each of the 27 entities that are a part of the joint the joint powers board, and they all have to have votes. And after they have votes, then they'll then the joint powers board will vote will vote whether to go ahead. So yes, there's a lot of uh, a lot of oversight. And the other thing that uh, that we have uh, discovered with the uh, a, a cooperative approach is is even if the joint powers board and all the townships and uh, cities decide they want to provide this $15 million loan to the to the a cooperative. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. The rest of the business plan, these, these loan guarantees from the uh, USDA and, uh, and HUD, uh, have to go through a fine-tooth comb. I mean, these business plans are going to be scrutinized and uh, turned inside out, and we have to uh, justify them. So 
there will be a lot of people deciding whether this makes sense to go forward. The good news is the first time around, we had 56% of the homes in the area say they were interested in taking service. So we think there's a lot of support for it. Now, I'm, I'm curious, Cindy, if I can put you on the spot and just ask you, um, over the course of these five years, what are some of the things that have inspired you to, to keep working toward this future where you, your home would have this great access and everyone in the community would have this great access to the Internet? Probably the, the most that kept me going was that hearing the same story from from a lot of people, probably from most people. The same story being that we need something better. We need something reliable. We need it. We need to be cost cost effective for our bottom lines for agriculture, you know, and communities as well. Uh, but the main thing is getting our rural area caught back up to what the general public is able to get. As agricultural folks, we use a lot of Internet. I think agriculture, in my opinion, is leaning to be one of the bigger users of technology today. Uh, things are exploding in front of us uh, for new ideas and new ways that we're using it. Um, it. It's amazing. So I think the agriculture sector is leading as far as needs of, of technology. We need the speed to be able to do the job that we're doing today. Um, this infrastructure, when they're, when they're building it for us, is going to give us that opportunity. The biggest thing that's kept me going is hearing the same story from folks that my internet speed, it's, it's horrible. Uh, the cost is exorbitant. The reliability is not there. Uh, I lose my signal. I get a few snowflakes on, the, on my satellite. It's gone. The tree moves. I lose my connection. And Mark, let me ask you the same question. What's, what's kept you inspired? Folks like you, Chris, I mean, you've really done a lot of work. And the more I find out about what kind of transformative technology, fiber optics technology is, how it's going to change the way we, we receive health care, we do our work, we educate our kids, older people can live in their homes longer, all of those things, that's what keeps me going. You know, I told you the story once, I think, about the lady up in Green Isle who at the end of a public meeting raised her hand and offered to go door to door in the city of Greenough to get pledge cards. And when I brought them to her the next day and asked her why, she's an educated lady. She manages a, a, a bank there. She said, this is the biggest no-brainer I've ever seen in my life. Why wouldn't we do this? No one else is going to do it for us. And that's really what it boils down to. Chris, we went to the, the phone providers, we went to the uh, cable providers, and we said, please do this. And they said, no, we can't. We said, we'll put the money up. Would you please do this for us if we put the money up? And they said, no, we can't do that either. So we're stuck out here. No one else is going to do it for us. So we need to do it ourselves. And people realize that. And it's the buy-in that's kept me going. It's this enthusiasm for it. One of the things that, that I was just thinking about as I was preparing for this, I, today I was running numbers for getting a sense of Wyndham, that the municipal network in the southwest of the state that, that you're both very well familiar with, I'm sure. Um, it's expanded into several other communities. And I was examining what they have now available compared to what the uh, incumbent provider was offering. And they have much faster services. And in aggregate, they save about $100,000 in Wyndham on the services because they're less expensive and $200,000 per year in the surrounding area that has access. It's, it's really quite incredible what happens with these kinds of networks. That's real money that's going to be staying in their communities. And, and I, I have to assume you're going to see the exact same kind of impacts there in your communities. None of the communities here have competition for video except for satellite, which, you know, goes out in the bad weather, which, which we have on occasion and, and you can't get your internet from it. So, 
they, they, when you introduce competition into an area, you see prices plummet. And our prices are based on a fair return, and, uh, and they're going to have to lower their prices in order to compete with us. And we think even those who don't get the service from us are going to win because their current telecom bills are going to be lower. Um, do you have any final comments, Cindy, as we wrap up the interview? I'd like to thank everybody who has been uh, researching and looking into this fiber optic project in our area. Um, we, I came into this project five years ago, didn't know much about fibers, but I know I, I know more today than I did five years ago. And that's why thanks to folks who are wanting to learn about it and who are trying to figure out a way to bring it into our daily lives, whether it's a business or a home or a school or a medical, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a, a huge project. Uh, Ten communities, seventeen townships, two two county two county lines. We've actually crossed over into. Um, I think it's a great thing, and I I want to thank those folks. And let's keep moving it forward. It's a it's a great way to end. It's, it's something that reminds me that so many of us started off not really knowing much about this field. It's it's something that people really can dig into, and it's it shouldn't be intimidating to anyone who really wants to to get in and make a difference. So, uh, thank you for for all of your work. Thank you, Chris. Okay, thanks, thanks, Chris. We have followed the project since the beginning, so you can learn more at MuniNetworks.org. Just follow the Renville, Sibley, or RS Fiber tags. We want your ideas for the show. Please email us. You can send a note to podcast at muninetworks.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. This show was released on May 20th, 2014. We want to thank Valley Lodge for their song, Sweet Elizabeth, licensed using Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening. Have a great day.